I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5. We're returning to the series entitled The Greatest Sermon Ever Told. Over the past few weeks, we've been building up to this particular point. I've been carefully preparing you and myself also for this moment when we actually sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him expound the great story of God's love and God's grace and how he includes us in that story by manifesting himself to us and shaping and cultivating our lives so that we become like him. We've come to the point where we begin to look at the beautiful attitudes, or as it's called usually, the Beatitudes, but these attitudes are beautiful. I'm sure you can think of many occasions when somebody's attitude makes all the difference, where attitude is crucial. And the outcome of that experience, exchange, interview, instruction, shopping experience depends so much on the quality of somebody's attitude. They can serve you, give you the correct item, charge you the correct amount, take your money, give you the receipt, and send you on the way, but with a bad attitude, and you, you haven't enjoyed the experience. But somebody else makes you feel like a million dollars, and probably if you had it, you'd spend it right there because you're so happy. Now, in the kingdom of God, attitude is everything. The attitudes that God has birthed in us when we first come to Christ when we're born again, that attitude of moving away from doing our will and living for our glory, but desiring above all things God's glory. And so let's have a look, and we're going to see as we go on in the series, eight beautiful attitudes that demonstrate we are blessed, and that God will richly reward. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at this first attitude that's in the list, the attitude in which you recognize your own spiritual poverty on the one hand, your total inability to please God or to satisfy God or to impress God or to put God anywhere in your debt, your nothingness on the one hand, which gives God the opportunity to pour everything that he has into your life that you might have the kingdom of God. Speaking about attitudes, often it's talking about that, that inner quality, which we, we could call inner beauty, inner beauty, beautiful attitudes. And the best of these are entirely spiritual. In other words, we're talking about a wisdom from above that has nothing to do with earthly circumstances. It's not even sourced on this earth. It has to come from heaven. Spiritual, otherworldly attitudes. Uh, sweetness of spirit, for example. I'm not talking about saccharine, sugar, sugary sweet sweetness, but the winsomeness and sweetness of spirit that God gives us as believers. Gentleness of heart, humility, empathic integrity. A lot of people talk about integrity and you listen to them and there's something missing. What they're saying is right, but there's something missing. Humility and empathy. But empathic integrity is beautiful. It's spiritual. It's divine. The inner beauty of somebody who from the heart loves what is right, what is true, what is pure. In the eyes of God, living an open heart before God. Now, needless to say, this is the very opposite of our culture and what our culture values. Our culture values so much what's of what can be seen from the outside, having a certain kind of appearance, a certain definition, a certain image of what beautiful is, derived more from Madison Avenue or Barbie dolls than from the Bible. Looking a certain way and then pressurizing people, both men and women, to conform to what our culture says is beautiful in a woman, beautiful in a man. Often this becomes highly sexualized as well and idealized to the point of total unreality. Nobody can really be like that, not without Photoshop anyway. The world prizes certain qualities in addition to good-lookingness, in addition to good looks, talent, wealth, ambition, and a certain kind of brashness, a certain sassiness, 
The ability to assert yourself, never apologizing for looking after number one. In fact, all of these qualities that our culture and our world prizes are, are nearly always centered around self. Something which approaches almost a new religion, almost a new cult, the cult of self. We are told to be high on self-reliance, self-expression, self-fulfillment, even to the point where our self-interest comes before really considering the good of other people. If I was to write a beatitude that our culture prizes and seeks to live by, it would be something like this. Blessed are the self-reliant and the self-assertive, for theirs is prosperity, popularity, and success. Oh, but the culture of the kingdom, the culture of heaven puts it like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see the contrast ourselves, but the contrast is even more stark from the eyes of God. There is nothing more ugly or offensive to him as the stench of human pride in the presence of his holy nature, most holy but also most humble. The God who came down in Christ, the Christ who humbled himself even to death, death on the cross, to suffer and die so that he could take away what is ugly in us and beautify us with the beauty that's in him. There is nothing so beautiful as this attitude of poverty in spirit, the complete absence of pride complete absence of arrogance and entitlement. And there's nothing in the end so rewarding as having this attitude. Because when you embrace the emptiness of your own spiritual poverty, you discover a spiritual wealth, the wealth of the kingdom being poured into your life. And this is a great relief, a great relief. Because only when you have nothing to hide and nothing to prove can you completely forget about yourself. Only then can you be free from the monotonous prison and the awful pain of self-preoccupation and then become set free joyfully to give yourself to God and others generously. And the doorway into this treasure of the kingdom is low. The doorway to the kingdom is low, so low, that you have to bend down and bow down to enter it. But when you enter it, you're so glad you did, because you find all the treasures of the kingdom, wisdom and richness of Christ there, at your disposal. And you know, this, this theme of having to bow down, of having to endure sometimes humiliating experiences 
in order to discover the treasure that you're searching for. This is a theme, one of the main themes of many of the adventure stories and movies of the day. Right now, I'm thinking of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, there he is, this uh, fictional character, archaeologist, and he's, he's, he's always looking for some adventure, and he's got some information that some hidden treasure it can be discovered at a certain place. And he starts a long journey, and you just listen to put all the movies together. He's got to crawl over, over deserts. He's got to climb up rocky mountains. He, he's got to stand in snake pits. He's got to bow down and be humiliated by eating all kinds of stuff that will not be on the menu in the Ritz restaurant. And then finally... In the final act of humiliation, he has to bow down into the dirt and squeeze himself through a low hole. And when he manages to squeeze himself through that, suddenly he comes upon the treasure, the ancient treasures hidden for generations that he has discovered. To discover treasure, you must bow. But I hear somebody say, I will never bow. I'm not going to bow to anybody. Oh, really? You are already bowed. You have already bowed to what controls you. Now, you've bowed to it. Now, the difference between all that stuff and what I'm talking about today is that stuff will put you down and keep you down and never lift you up. But those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will start low. But God will lift you up. God is in the business of lifting people up, even if you have to bow and humble yourself in order to be lifted up. You will be lifted up. Now, when we come to these Beatitudes, the statements beginning with blessed are, so forth, eight of these, <clears throat> we are hearing the heart of Jesus. One of the good things about coming to the Sermon on the Mount and trying to work our way through it bit by bit, listening to God and allowing him to shape our hearts, one of the benefits of it is that we are, we are actually coming to the heart of Jesus' teaching. The Sermon on the Mount is, is the heart of Jesus' teaching. And I, I, I've come back to it time and time again in my own life, just to make sure that I am refreshed in the fundamentals, the basics, the heart of Jesus' teaching, the simplicity of walking with God in the kingdom. And so if the sermon is the heart of Jesus' teaching, these Beatitudes are the heart of the heart. Everything depends on this. And so also, Jesus, especially in these verses and in the rest of the sermon, he is addressing your heart. This teaching comes from his heart to your heart. He is addressing your inner life. And, and that's why he begins with attitudes. If you can get the attitudes and intentions of your heart right then life transformation will follow. We'll see this as we go through the sermon. It's all about what's happening in your heart, the thoughts, the attitudes, the intentions, the love, and the 
affections of your heart. Okay, analyze the, the Beatitudes. It's very simple. It's in three parts, okay? Blessed, that's a statement of blessedness. And then the subject of those who are blessed, what people are blessed for. And then the third part, the reward that comes, why they're blessed. So it starts off with this statement of blessedness. Blessed are, in our instance, the poor in spirit. Blessed are. It's a statement of fact. It's not something to attain. It's just a fact. It's something that God has given you and describes you. Of course, what we have to do is to bring out that quality and, and cause it to grow and blossom and bring forth fruit. But the blessing is given up front. I love that. God first blesses us, then he calls us to respond and work for him and live for him. Now, this word blessing is not the usual word for blessing. Uh, it's a special word for blessing. I'll give it to you because it's familiar, I think, sometimes when we get, know a few Greek people. Makarios. I don't know if you remember the great Archbishop Makarios. Uh, and there are others, you know, we've got, we've got people, you know, called by Greek names like Zoe and everything like that, but Makarios. Now, Makarios begins with this first part, Mac. Mac. And I, I'm taking you there because I find it very interesting. Mac, Mac, it means something big, something substantial, something weighty, something juicy, something like the Big Mac that we get at the restaurant. All the bumper burger and other burgers are available. It speaks of bigness, generosity. And put it all together, this idea of this word carries with it the picture of somebody with a big smile on their face, like the cat that's got the cream, the dog that's got the bone, the worker that's got the pay rise. Someone who is most fortunate, someone who's delighted and happy and to be congratulated, somebody who has just been given a high privilege but without entitlement. Today we have a, a lot of uh, talk about privileged statuses. Privileged, privileged. And I, when I look at it, I don't really think that people are that upset about other people's privilege. But what really upsets us is when the privileged people act as if it was their entitlement. Now that is harder to deal with. But we're privileged in the kingdom, but without entitlement. God owes us nothing, and yet he gives us everything. What's that? That's grace. That's blessedness. Uh, another example from this, I'm sure will encourage you. Um, do you remember in the Christmas story when the angel appears to Mary and says, blessed are you amongst women? What? The angel was saying was that Mary was God's chosen vessel, God's blessed vessel, to carry Christ into this world. That's why she's blessed. But do you know in a similar way, though not, not quite literally, but in a similar way, you and I are equally blessed because we carry Christ. Christ is in us. So that's the statement of blessedness. Then the particular quality whether it is being poor in spirit or mourning or meekness or hungry to do what is right, being merciful, and so on. When we read the statements, we will find every one of these qualities surprising 
because they're the exact opposite of what we might expect, opposite to what our culture has taught us, uh, mainly without us realizing it. And this becomes a kind of challenge to our society, challenge to our culture, and challenge to ourselves because it is a radical alternative to contemporary culture and indeed any culture in any time. And that's why it is sometimes counterintuitive. Happy are those who mourn, for example. It's counterintuitive. But it's also a countercultural way of thinking. If we live like this and think like this, we're going to be radically different from anything that's in this world, and it'll be one of the surest ways of demonstrating that we are not from this world. We're in it, but not of it. We are citizens of heaven. And then comes the third part, the reason why you're blessed, why you've got that big smile on your face, what you gain by being this way, by living this way. Recognizing that all the truly desirable things that you value, everything you've ever desired, is there for you, waiting in the kingdom that comes as benefits and the rewards and the byproducts of walking with Jesus in humility and turning constantly away from the glory of self to the glory of God. And so all this begins with poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think you can recognize right away that this is the starting point of all the inner attitudes upon which life in the kingdom depends. It's how we got into the kingdom, wasn't it? In the first place, when we recognize there's nothing good in us, that we couldn't save ourselves, that we had to tr trust totally on G in Jesus and what he's done. All our moral self-effort, all our good works, every religious deed, when it comes to God, it's all these things are about as useful as strapping on at 12,000 feet in the air a concrete parachute. Jump out of that plane, you're not going to float. You're going down, straight down. But when you trust in Christ, not only does he lift you up, but he takes you higher and higher and higher until you come to the place where you're breathing the beautiful atmosphere of heaven which becomes so much part of you that your life on earth is or begins to be a reflection of heaven in you and through you and around you. And so it means that you know and have come to realize that there is nothing in you, nothing of yourself that could ever please God and there isn't a thing you can do to put it right or to change it. All have sinned and there is none good, no, not one. Now, when we look around the world, we might say, well, that's a, he's a good person. She's, she's a good woman, maybe. Not necessarily Christian, but good woman, maybe. But actually, when you strip away the layers and see what's going on, you will find underneath the external display, the external life, you will find a wayward soul that is addicted to self. You meet a good person, and they are good so long as they get their way. Or even give a good person a little bit of power, put them on a committee, put them behind a, uh, a high-powered car. You will soon see what's coming out from the, 
from the inside. It's rather like that uh, movie with Jim Carrey and the mask. I don't know if you remember that from Zero to Hero. Remember that? He put on the mask and he changed. He had supernatural qualities. But those external supernatural qualities were nothing more than that was reflected from inside his character. And then when another man got hold of it, a bad man, you know, the goodies and the baddies, the bad man, and he became supernaturally bad. So what this means is that what's going on in the heart is what really determines your life. And we know that we are absolutely as powerless to save ourselves as a grade one helicopter waiting on the helipad without an engine. Beautiful on the outside, but that helicopter's going nowhere. We need the power and the presence of God on the inside. And when we understand this, we say, well, if I'm going to come to God, I can only come one way. I've got to come just as I am. And that's the invitation of the gospel. Come to Jesus as you are. All you can offer him is your sin, your rebellion, your weakness, your failure, your brokenness, your total inability to change or do anything about it. It's all I've got to offer you, God. And do you know what he says? Deal. I'll take it. I will take your weakness. I will take your sin and your failure. I'll put it on my life and exchange it for my grace, my forgiveness, my power, and my blessing. That's exactly what happened on the cross. He was made sin with our sinfulness that we might become the righteousness and beauty that is in him. So, you trust your soul entirely to the goodness of God, the grace of God, the gift of God, eternal life, and that changes you. Your attitude is never arrogant again. When you hold to this attitude and allow it to grow and develop, you will never look down on anybody again. A friend of mine who very recently went to be with Jesus Dr. Larry Crabb, we've been, we were praying for him for quite some time. He was, as a Christian psychologist, asked to comment on a terrible incident, a mass shooting in a local school. Everybody was outraged as this adolescent gunman went around shooting teachers and colleagues mercilessly. And everybody was shocked and outraged at such a display of horrendous wickedness. And they put a microphone in front of Dr. Larry Crabb and asked him, what do you think, what do you see, and what do you think when you see such wickedness? And he said, I see myself. They had no idea what he meant. They didn't put it on television. But what he was saying is what you and I should say. You might look at people who, you could easily look down on them. Their, their life is rubbish. They've, they've messed up. And, and you would say they're, they're, they're horrible people. 
they do such bad things. But do you know that the root of sin, which has borne that kind of fruit in somebody else's life, is the same root that brings forth negative fruit in you. So basically, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and, and not even we can know it, only God can know it. That's why he comes and takes us and blesses us. So that's why we trust, not in ourselves, even the best of our good deeds, they're done with the ultimate motivation of self, self-glory, not God's glory. But he's taken all that away. And he's, we've come to him with our nothingness, which is exactly where he pours into our lives his everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this quality, this attitude, which we have because we're born again, we've come that way, but we need to allow to grow and develop. This attitude describes the person who knows that they have absolutely no claim on God and depending totally on God and his grace in all things. A person like this knows that they're no better than anybody else. They're of themselves, they're utterly morally and spiritually bankrupt. And any good thing in us, any inclination towards God, anything that comes from our life that pleases God, we owe it all to him. We are fully aware that the flesh is of no value. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing. I know nothing. I can do nothing apart from the grace of God. As I say, such a person will never look down on anybody else. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look what you get. Possessing nothing of yourself, you possess everything in Christ. Being poor in spirit, you become spiritually wealthy, possessing the kingdom of heaven. The spiritually arrogant are to be pitied because they think they have everything, but they have nothing. Those who have the kingdom, though they have nothing, are blessed because God, in his grace, has blessed them with his presence, with the wealth of the kingdom and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and walking with him. That's the blessedness that is yours if you lower yourself and come humbly before God.